just because we can replace all the artists' jobs with the computer doesn't mean we should do that. The reason why we love art to begin with is because it's it's not perfect and it's made by a human. That's why we like art. That is at the core of it. It's why would I try to compete with someone else who's obsessed with, with that thing and I'm not. They're going to beat me every time. You know, find what you're obsessed with and double down on that because that already puts you in the 1% of the 1%. Where do you even want to start? I mean, who, who are your clients these days? Dude, dude, I feel, like, um, I feel like we should start. I mean, I'd love to just keep talking about maybe we can find a way to, you know, introduce what we were just talking about. But this idea of like, yeah, uh, just go into it. But this idea of like how compounding that the work that you put in uh, in the last five or 10 years starts to compound. Right when you said that, I had this conversation with my dad like two days ago about that. And we were talking about, you know, like, I'm sure you know this and entrepreneurs probably can completely relate. You don't really know if you're doing the right thing for a while. Like you, In fact, your brain basically <laughs> is screaming at you at the top of its lungs. You're probably fucking everything up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you got to have this weird, like, it's not even a sixth sense to know what you're doing. It's or or to know what you're doing is right. I think it's more of like, it doesn't even matter because what else am I going to do with my time? I want to solve hard problems. I want to get in over my head and things like if not, things are boring. So to me, it's like, I might as well, you know, even if you don't, you know, understand if you're doing the right thing. So like I was telling my dad, I was like, you know, it, it feels weird in a way to, to feel like, okay, everything you were doing did pay off and, and, or is starting to compound because, you know, it's really hard when you first start, you kind of just are basing your whole business around people who are willing to take a shot. On you. Um, you don't have, at least for me, like in, in photo and, and directing side of things, like your, your degree and credentials are your past work and past experience. So you can't like, you can't show a piece of paper that says, oh, trust me, you didn't even that up don't have a huge background in this like i was educated in this whatever and, and most entrepreneurs probably deal with that and it's like so you know for a while you're kind of just slowly kind of climbing with people who are willing to take a chance but then i think once you do get that well-rounded you know uh, body of work and, and experience like then the compounding starts to happen and it is pretty pretty cool um, so it's, what's, what's an example of you experiencing that recently? You said you kind of hit that inflection point of the five-year mark. You start seeing the dividends from, from shit you were doing five years ago. What's a scenario that, that's come up recently? I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's just a weird feeling when people approach you and are like, oh, I've been wanting to work with you for a while. And you're like, well, I've been wanting to work with you for a while. Like, <laughs> you know, like that, that to me is always strange because you're just like you know i i'm making work that that i want to look at and that i want to make uh as the core of everything and and for a while it wasn't like that though you kind of look up to certain people in your field and you're like you know when you first start out you're you're trying to think much differently than you thought in the past you're like okay so now i have an opportunity to make some really interesting work or art you know and i'm like what would so and so make and what would what would this person make? What would they be thinking in this part? That's what you would just do because you'd look up to these people. And then after a while, you're like, well, I'm not them. I'm only going to be a copy of them if I keep doing that. Um, you start to realize that 
you know, even though you look up to someone, you may not like all of their work. You only like, you know, certain parts of it. And then you're like, okay, but this combined with this part of someone else's work. Yeah. I really mess. You know, I really love that combination of things. And that is kind of like, I guess an artist process a, a bit that I've always enjoyed is like, you know, picking different elements of, of art that you really like and combining them into, into an area or arena that like, hasn't had that combination before. Um, so just a lot of that. And then, um, yeah, just, just starting to, you know, feel like every job that you're bidding on has like a bit more, uh, you know, not weight behind it, but like you're, you're bringing more to the table. Now you're bringing, you know, you have, you have the right images and, and footage to perfectly fit each client. And it just feels like more and more, uh, less of a stretch for for you know clients to to work together and work with you so that's been like yeah just the and, and but it is funny you know you do meet people and i'm sure you feel this too entrepreneurs will see that it's like what you said it's like this 10-year overnight success you come across people and you're they're like you know you know i thought you were just you know coming along and like just did really some really just started a few years ago just doing some really great work and i'm like i'm like i can't even begin to describe like how obsessed i've been since i've been 10 years old you know, it's like, so to me, it's like, I feel like I'm the slowest one at this. Everyone else is just like, pick something up a few years later, starts to really, you know, uh, get traction. But I think my thing has always been like, um, you know, hammering away at things to make a result that you really like and lots of trial and error. Like, I think I trust, I trust my, my taste and my vision after seeing things way more than uh, before seeing them. Like, I, I feel like my imagination is good, but my taste after trying a hundred different variations is, is what I'd rather rely on, you know, as, as an artist and, a, and an entrepreneur. But I'm curious, like for you, do you have, do you have, is there any like parallels in that for what you do? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, so one thing I actually want to ask, you say entrepreneur, like you're not one, do you not consider yourself an entrepreneur? I mean, I always, feel like that word has meant I, yeah i yeah i would say so but i always feel like you know in the service industry it may be like like i don't have like i i don't know i guess yeah for sure i just always associate that with like separate from artists and separate from uh yeah i mean i feel like i work so closely now with like agencies and like corporate people that i don't feel like i'm outside of that i try to think of yeah. you know like the the job and like the industry is like kind of one in the same intertwined but yeah i guess for sure entrepreneur it, yeah it's interesting i, I was just curious because you, you said that a few times and i definitely see you as an entrepreneur you're an entrepreneur of one right your business is you your, yeah. your product is your work yeah yeah you're right you're, you're not you know I, I think maybe there's a difference between the starving artist who creates art because they're truly inspired, but they have no de designs or desire for commercialization. But yeah. if you are actually going into business to make money, and it's not that you have to make the most money in the world, but and, and you're quite successful, but if you're going into doing the art and intersecting it with commercial gain, then I would say you're definitely a, a business. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think you're right. And it's like, I guess I just, you know, I don't know if you think you know, do you, when you, when you're working, when you wake up, do you think of yourself, I'm an entrepreneur 
um, doing this and that and, and my, you know, my, I would never introduce myself as that. I'm sure you wouldn't yeah, either. That's fair. That's fair. No, I mean, actually, I don't know. I, I think, I think so much of my identity, you said you started getting obsessed when you were 10 in photography. I got obsessed with entrepreneurship when I was probably 12 or 13 or something. And it was this kind of idea of hustling and figuring out an alternative route and making something out of nothing. And one of the very first things I got obsessed with was perpetual motion, which is uh, not doable, right? It's not physically possible. But I found out that Leonardo da Vinci and I think Einstein, uh, not Einstein, um, Isaac Newton and a few other you know great minds were obsessed with trying to understand if perpetual motion was possible or not. And so the idea of perpetual motion is if you're able to have a system that produces more energy than you put in, then you have unlimited free energy, right? right. Like that's, and, and that's, that's defeated by Isaac Newton's laws of conservation of energy. So it's just impossible unless we change the definition of, of mechanics. Of, yeah. Of and physics. is that even with, even with fusion or fission or whichever one there? Yeah, that would be a, gaining a lot of energy, but it's still coming from a source, right? It's coming from an atom rather than producing more overall. So but the, the reason... Out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But the the reason I was I parlayed that into entrepreneurship is because with a business you can create perpetual motion or you can create something that produces more than the sum of its parts. Yeah. So if you build a business and you're starting it out and you put all your energy into it and maybe it makes a little bit of money, it's still dependent on you to live, right? But as you grow as a as a business, eventually, hopefully, your software, your company, your organization becomes more than just this employee, this employee, that employee, it's a thing that can live and breathe on its own. And yeah. the excess energy is profit, right? A, a healthy business produces profit for its shareholders. And that's the same thing with compound growth as well. If you, if you put investment into something, eventually keep stacking and produces uh, interest. And then that interest could be more than the sum of, of the money that you're contributing on a monthly basis. So anyway, I've just always been obsessed with that kind of idea. So to answer your question, I actually have always identified for better or for worse as an entrepreneur since early on. And it's like probably one of the very core things in my DNA as to my, my identity and my character that I define myself as. Yeah. I, I would, I guess like, you know, we all have those, like, you know, we're, it's just a label. Right. But like those, there's traits around that, that you've got that are like that just hunger and desire to, especially probably to like look for solutions where most people aren't finding them or like, you know, building something, you know, building a business where most people aren't seeing a business opportunity. Like that is probably, I can see that, like, I can see that in you. And like, it's probably like something that just, cause I feel like there's always like to, to be, like we were saying, most businesses don't survive past, you know, even the, I guess even the first year, but five years or whatever. So it's like, it, you know, what is that, that, you know, obviously it probably has more to do with people than business, I would say. And, and it's like this grit, I would say is a good word that is like this sustained perseverance on getting to where you want to be at all costs. And I'm sure that's why people with ADHD, you know, do well in this because it's like just that hyper, like become the task kind of mindset of like, okay, great. This is my like laser focused goal and nothing else matters. You know, nothing else can, 
it's not that nothing else can distract you from it, but like when you're in that flow state of like, you know, honing in on I'm making this happen, there are no other options. There are no other options. Uh, I think that obsession. That is, yeah, I mean, it's like exactly. It's like probably why you or I like can get good at anything. It's just that obsessive personality uh, nature like that we have to to become. That, that's for me for sure. It's the only reason why it's like i guess it's totally what i was getting at it's like my my expertise i would say like was saying is hammering away at something which is upset obsessing over something until it until it feels right as opposed to just being like this there that there that's amazing you know people who and there's people like that you know who have this this golden touch with vision whether it's based on a ton of experience or they're just like have been blessed with like a really you know innate sense of uh, you know what other people might find interesting too but yeah, i think that the obsession i would say yeah obsession is like that's a cool one it's like it's a perfect question to ask like anyone who's starting out you know this is cool are you obsessed with it though it's like if you're obs- not obsession is that next level it's it's you don't care if it takes you one year or a day or yeah. your entire lifetime yeah. you're going yeah. to do it you're going to work at it in perpetuity right like yeah. the end like it doesn't fucking matter what happens you're going yeah. to do this period yeah. you're going to find a way to do it well what would be like what what motivates you is there like something down the line that motivates you or is it more like in the or, or is it more in the just day-to-day like problem solving excitement that you get yeah i mean i think I, I do a lot of introspection and so it's something that i'm constantly trying to understand why the hell am i doing what i'm doing and I think I've always known, but I'm becoming more and more honest with it. And so for me, I think that this, this perpetual motion, this creating something that is greater than the sum of its parts, that has, it's like the most interesting puzzle to me. And I want to solve it, yes, but even more interesting to me is I want to teach it. Because I think that if you do find the thing that you're obsessed with, and you're able to find the intersection of what you're good at, what you're interested in, and what you can make money on, right? I think that's the, the trifecta of, of where you should spend your time. Yeah. Um, if you're able to find that, and you're able to do it faster, and you're able to do it before you get sucked into a career or something that's kind of dead end, but is more safe, I think that that's extremely rewarding. It's difficult, but it's very rewarding. And so one of the things that I've become more and more aware of with myself, I'm still figuring out is... I think I really want to help people figure out that framework for how to go from idea in in my world, from idea to product and then product to business. And but I think that can be it can show up in, in many aspects of your life of going from the idea of the thing that you want to the plan to achieve it and then achieving it and doing the work to get there. And so my my biggest hang up for for a long time was I didn't feel like I had enough experience to teach. I didn't feel like I had enough experience to actually share anything. And it's only in the past year, starting this podcast, I've reached an inflection point where I definitely have so much to learn. I have so, so much to learn. But I do think I might be able to help someone skip over a week's worth of effort or maybe you know two weeks worth of effort. And if I'm able to do that, if I'm able to help someone learn from the mistakes that I've beaten into my skull through pure, unadulterated pain, then... That's cool, and that's that's kind of what I'm I'm motivated by right now. Yeah, you get that. Um, yeah, I think that is like a good 
good reflection of like your pure love for the game when you learn something and have a breakthrough you're not just like i'm gonna keep this all feeling for myself it's more like all right that took me four years to figure out i think i could help someone get there sooner you know and it's like you know maybe it's choosing those those specific people that you want to share that knowledge with and whatever but like i felt that way too with certain things where you you reach a few different breakthroughs with things that you've been like cranking on for a while and and you're just like i mean i've done that this this year like a few times where you're just like i'm locking myself in my apartment and figuring this out whether it's like a trying to figure out a certain color look or just a way to you know get a specific i'm just very obsessive with with color and tone and, and images and especially in photography it, it is even more important than in, in directing it's like it it kind of pushes emotion and sells a feeling as much as what the image is but as well as i'd say the the color and tone and feeling is is a lot so to do. D- describe that process like locking yourself in a room maybe you have a specific image you're working on you're trying to find a specific color look tone just describe what that whole process is and how you work through it and how you know when you've got there yeah i mean it's it's a super interesting interesting process it's basically you know photography is it's not really an art like it is so science driven everything about it it's from ones and zeros to how sensors perceive light and it's all data that is transferred in pixels um and then there's you know tons of different cameras and sensors and lens combinations that all result in an image that makes you feel specific ways and and i you know, a lot of what I do is not just, it's not just making pictures that are supposed to be great or, you know, sell a product or good to look at, but it's more to do with knowing what a client is looking for and what they're trying, what feeling they're trying to sell. And then how I'll translate that into a visual that will be like, you know, psychological and, and make you feel, you know, make you feel that X, Y, or Z emotion and, and or you know, shed more light, guide your eye to certain parts of an image, certain features on a car, things like that. Like it's, it's all, you know, about kind of that crafting and using the the tech and the data and, and, you know, color and light and all that to kind of translate into emotion kind of boils down to that. But one of the things that photography is always like, uh, you know, in the, sh- it's always in the shadow of, of, uh, film and filmmaking uh, video side of things uh, because there's just so much more money that goes into movies and film than do into photo shoots. So we're kind of stuck with prosumer kind of technology and equipment, whereas, uh, you know, the, the, the video guys get the professional stuff. And there, there are professional stills cameras, but they're just, they're quirky. They're not great. There's not a lot of money behind them. You know, they could be better, things like that. So we're always trying to, you know, kind of level up, hack, hack away, you know, into, you know, making this feel like, you know, a, a, you know, a certain film stock or, or whatever. So anyways, just like something this year I did was I've been really working on trying to get this, um, this Kodak film look inspired and intertwined through some of my work. That's not so much like completely just like a filmic look just like you know not not to look vintage or anything like but but to just have specific colors that anyone can tell that feels a little bit more cinematic than say the next image or someone else's right um 
So just, you know, playing with that, figuring out ways, you know, kind of hack some of this, some of the programs, like have a starting point that's a little bit, you know, intertwined with a few different other things. And anyways, it, it, it took you know, weeks to wrap my head on, but like, you know, once you figure it out, you just, it's super cool to have those little epiphanies where you're just, okay, yeah, this is all super worth it. It will make my work, you know, look, look better or look, you know, level up from competition. And, uh, the big part of it was I wanted to be able to have this style be something that can be, uh, can be used on set while we're shooting so that the client can see that exactly colored, looking beautiful, all that right away as we're shooting, because anyone, you can do anything, you know, in Photoshop and what you can get it there, but that might take it out. And then you're not doing that live. But my thing was like, I want these clients to just feel the difference right away. Right. So things like that, that just, I geek out on. Um, and where, you know, where do you think that comes from? Like, what is it behind you find an idea, you say, Oh, I'm going to obsess for weeks to get this one feel so that I can show a client real time. Where does that come from? <laughs> I mean, I think one, I want, I just want my stuff to look like that one. You know, I want it to feel like that because I think at the end of the day, I'm making, uh, I, I'm trusting that like what I'm making is something that I want to look at and trusting that vision that client will also want that. And we can tweak, you know, we obviously, you know, there will be times where what I want and what they want and there's difference in work to get, you know, closer to, you know, getting what they want and eventually like nailing what they want. But I would say like, I don't know, man, I think it's just like, it just excites me and it's super exciting to, I think what you were saying to find that like, you know, kind of collision between like, oh, this is, this is super cool art. This is also making, you know, m money for me and selling a product and helping someone else. And like, kind of just is that perfect combination of like business and art and excitement. And, you know, I wouldn't like, and, and it's just why I don't like it. That, that is kind of why I never really like stray from like my wheelhouses like you know there's a lot of people that would say you know oh you should think about doing this and getting into this side of things or you know maybe you know getting into real estate or like this kind of stuff and i'm just like just think about everything as time and i'm just like i want to just maximize my time in my wheelhouse because i know that i can you know i know there's no ceiling on on what i'm working on and i know that like time spent on this and i'm obsessed with this why would i try to compete with someone else who's obsessed with with that thing and i'm not you know they're going to beat me every time so it's like i think you know find what you're obsessed with and double down on that because that already puts you in the one percent of the one percent in that in that world i think that's so true and i think one of the things i've encountered recently that's a good concept is as you get more success you need to get better and better at saying no to bigger and bigger opportunities because you will have more opportunities based on the thing that you're working on, based on your own skill, based on your own photography, the, the opportunities that will come that are peripheral, maybe real estate deals or, oh, maybe go into a different sector or space. But the, the problem with that is you're an idiot in that space. You, mm -hmm. you haven't spent time there. You don't know what you're doing. And so it's not to say that the opportunities are bad, right? They're probably good opportunities. You're just not an expert at that so therefore yeah. you need to say no to good opportunities because i think the the big thing that you you highlight on is is the cost is not uh money 
or or missing out on opportunity, the cost is your time. The cost yeah. is your time on becoming more of an expert. Everything's time. Everything is time. There's no someone else is better than you. They're better than you because they've spent more time on it. That's every it it is levels the playing field. Like you know, anyone who you look up to, who you're like, you know, my that's the other cool thing about when you hit breakthroughs in your work, you start to get that confidence, and you're like, oh, so and so that I thought was just like a god in their field, you know, no, they've just spent tons of time on it. Right. And it's like, once you realize that and you put in the time, you're like, okay. And, and the time, it's like you said, you know, it's probably not a year. It's probably more like a lifetime. But like when you, you know, you put in 20 years on something, that's why things can get, uh, that's why you can just get so far ahead in, in your craft when you're like putting in, you know, 80 hour weeks time and like, you know, just week after week after week. Right. It's like that, that kind of, that kind of like, you just can't replace, you just can't replace time. You know, it's like, it's the one thing that like, I'll, I'll never feel bad about like, you know, um, spending money to, to free up more time for me. Like I'll, and I'm, and I know you, you know, you do a good job at that too. Like it, it just having that gauge on like, okay, is it worth me spending this hour or two hours on this or can someone else do that? And is you know, will that free me up to do other things? And I think that's like, as you get, deeper into into your own careers like i think that especially as an entrepreneur that that time proposition value proposition there i think is like the one to to be really dialed in on because i could i could see you know people kind of crashing and burning if they don't have that like gauge for time the interesting thing too about that is it needs to scale as you scale so if you're just starting out you need to put your time into the craft you need to put your your reps in your time under the bar so that you actually can get good at it and it's really funny if you suck you, you probably will suck at first but you just need to start putting in the reps and as you put in the reps you'll get better and then as you get better you can put in better reps and then you get even better but there is that inflection point where at some point you're constrained by your time because you just need to work hard to start but then once you start working hard and you get better then you need to be smart about how you work and that's where you start layering in additional people. And I, I see a lot of people get hamstrung by not delegating enough. I know I actually struggle with it. It's yeah. uh, growing up with not so much money. You have this mindset of, well, I can do it myself. I can figure it out. It's also an entrepreneurial aspect of me. I've, I can figure it out. I, I can, you know, I can learn anything. Yeah. But should I learn anything? Should I do it just because I can? And disseminating between that, you know, how much is it worth it for me to learn this new skill that I won't be good at that I could hire someone else to do and they'll do it in a third of the time versus me doing it? It's probably not worthwhile. It's probably yeah. not worthwhile. Yeah. What's yeah. your perspective on art and money? I have a bunch of friends who are artists and they all have different relationships with the commercialization of art. What's your perception on it? Well, I mean, you think. Are you asking this in terms of like the idea of mixing the two and how that kind of plays out? Yeah, I mean, so, so you know, you can always, I've talked to artists before and they'll say that money can pervert true art and true art should be done independent of any commercialization. But obviously you've embraced the, yeah, the what business is, side. What is true art? You know, that's like great question. That's the that's to me is like I I see art as so broad. It's like it is not just 
um, I'm making this thing because only I want to look at it. That's true art, right? I guess and that's what people are talking about. It's like, no one else influenced this thing. Obviously, everyone, your your whole experience in life influences. But it's like, if people are kind of getting at that, and then, you know, that, if that's true art, and then I guess someone, you know, for, I guess, just use advertising because it's an easy example. Uh, you know, art, we're, you know, we're making art, we're making films, we're making images, but now there's money attached to it. And is it, is it, straying away from what true art is of course of course it's a different thing um i don't feel bad about it it's not um it's not pretending to be art disguised you know it's not disguised as art but in fact it's advertising it's advertising you know and with you know i'm not pretending to sell a car in my image i'm selling a car I mean, there's a car in this image trying to make you buy it you know like it my job is to make this thing look awesome and just so helps them car guy and i don't just shoot cars but that's just a good example and you know so you know i don't i don't ever remember feeling like and i totally know we've had i've had conversations with artists about this all the time but i just remember like in in i went to uh community college for like a a, a year taking art classes and the art teacher was really cool. She would always just say like, you know, art can't just be art. Like it needs to communicate with the world. It needs to communicate with the world, even as art, not just advertising. Right. So it's like, I, I don't have a problem with it. You know, I think I'm sure if someone does have a problem with it, I'm sh you know, they're entitled to that feeling as well, for sure. You know? So, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a very, it's cool. It's cool hearing your questions about art because I feel like, you know, to an out to an outsider, I'm like, you know, uh, I mean, not that you're not an artist, but like, you know, it's it's more like uh, it's cool from from hearing it from someone with more of like that business mind on, um, you know, how people perceive it. But yeah, dude, I think like, you know, there's a lot of different forms that art can take and like think you know like even some of the art that we think is traditional you know michelangelo like he was getting paid to make a lot of those pieces it's know? funny so, to say that I, I i just went to florence and uh went to saw the more renaissance paintings than i ever thought amazing. i could see in a single day and in the louvre and all the things that exist from that time all had patrons that yeah. were rich people buying portraits of themselves um, uh, they were paying, uh, Da Vinci or the church, you know, buying portraits of God or the saints or, uh, Da Vinci was commissioned to create, uh, inventions to further his war agenda. Right. So the, the Da Vinci's were waging war against some other Duke or whatever. Right. And so he invented a bunch of things to scale walls and climb ladders and flying machines, but all of that art that we cherish as some of the, the highest art ever created was commissioned and paid for in a commercial sense so you know it's 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 i think i think it's easy to people to well, have uh, yeah some great art opinions. needs yeah i think great art needs boundaries too it, it needs a, it needs an aim sometimes it needs a specific goal uh and commissions are a good one you know it really like helps it to me that's the cool part about 
the job as a artist meets entrepreneurs you get to solve problems through your art you know it's like these people have a problem they can't make it themselves that's the purest form of what we do and they can't um, communicate what they need to communicate yeah yeah sometimes they sometimes they're good at communicating but they just don't know how to make it and sometimes they can't communicate it but either way well they can't communicate it visually right right art is communication as well yeah right and and, and exactly man And, and it's like even, you know, as I get older and, and more involved in just understanding like business and being a leader, like I, I really think a lot about like, you know, okay, I feel like my, t- going back to time, I feel like my time spent learning and studying things would be best spent on, on how to communicate to people or how, you know, these, these more like, these more baseline fundamentals that I feel like can always be improved. I'm like, okay, an hour spent on that, on learning like how to best communicate with people in like a, in a, in a position of leadership is probably way better than me spending an hour trying to figure out like, you know, just a new, a new lighting technique or something. You know, I, it, it to, that's kind of the fun thing that I play with now is like, you know, okay, what, if you do have that, if you do have time in your schedule, then to to research. I mean, we all do, but like, you know, to spend that time researching and getting better and improving. It's like, what are some of the areas that like maybe you're overlooking or like, you know, there's this great quote that I like keep thinking about, and it's like the places, the answers you most need are the places you least want to look, and that has to do with introspection. And I always think about that because it's like, okay, what are you? What's staring you in the face that you're avoiding? Um, and a lot of times, like the, you know, a lot of your problems can be solved just by, by facing that. So what's currently staring you in the face that you're not dealing with? <laughs> oh man. I mean, aside from just, you know, a messy apartment, uh, <laughs> that gets exponentially messier the more you're working on for sure. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think on it. Is there anything that comes to your mind? So uh, there's been a lot that I've been sifting through, introspecting on of late. And one of the things that I've, I've only just uncovered last weekend was how much I am still deeply insecure. And I thought I kind of worked through imposter syndrome years ago. I thought, I kind of had gotten past it and I felt comfortable and confident in what I was doing and sure I need to figure things out. But I I realized that there was a voice in my head that was just absolutely abusive and was just expecting for me to fail. And so everything that I encountered in normal life that potentially was evidence of me not knowing what I was doing or potentially doing something wrong, I had this voice basically screaming at me saying, look, you're definitely going to fail. People are going to figure you out. They're going to figure out you have no clue what you're doing. And, and just kind of realizing that even some things that we might sort through, think we get through and not directly look at, right? The things that we need to look at in, in the corner that are staring at us. Um, they're often still there. I don't know if you ever get fully past certain demons that you might have, but being conscious of them and living with them intentionally in the light and saying yeah this is my 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 ugly voice that says shitty things sometimes and um 
that sucks, but it's also part of me and I'm, I'm going to like not shy away from it. I think that's something that I'm currently, you know, shifting through and, and looking at right now. Yeah. Being that, that voice that's like, even just I, what you said, dude, is exactly, I would say it's the big one for me too. It's like, you say something, even in like any setting, you know, and you're like, was that the right thing? You know, did I, did I, was the tone okay? Did I say that? Did I communicate that? I think it's like, we're both like really just introspective and hard on ourselves, I guess is really a better way to describe it. Um, that was like something that I learned only probably a year ago was like, just, I just kept remembering, like coming back to this, like, why are you so hard on yourself? Why are you so hard on yourself? Like, I, I could just feel like I could finally like stare that and being like, oh my God, like I've been doing that my whole life, like saying you're not good enough, get better because that motivates you and that yep. gets you to a point where you can be good enough by, by telling yourself you aren't good enough, you suck at this, you need to get better um, to a point Do you think that's necessary you know, for growth. I think I, th I don't know. I think it works to a certain point. I don't. And, but I also don't think that, so say it works for you for like four years and then like in the fifth year, you're like, man, I'm like tired of like, you know, this, this is not the right way to do things. <laughs> also don't beat yourself up over the fact that what may have worked for you in the past may not work for you now. Yeah. I mean, that's you being hard on yourself again by saying like, oh man, you know, so like, don't fall into that loop, right? Because what may have worked for you for a little bit great that got you here that's amazing and like we all need to evolve and change and like think being willing to like keep evolving and keep changing keep changing your processes of how you how you approach your work and how you think uh i think is so important you know like really understanding when you fall into a like a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset on things like start or or you know or people on your team is probably more more likely like you can pick up on those things right away you know and you're like kind of address them like you know whether that's like finding the right team to begin with who you can pick up on is like you know always approaching to me that's like i think of what i do now is like way more like myself as a company with my guys who work with me and not so much just like me and my assistants, you know, like I think about like who I bring on to a job is, is my company. And I, you know, I am this, the, the president or whatever of the company, but, but it's so much more about like making sure that, that these moving parts stay, you know, well, well oiled and, and like kind of doing the right things and not not grinding gears and, and part of that is like finding the team that is like to me that like can do attitude is like that's abundance mindset just boiled down but that's like that's everything because if you have that you know you you can you can really tackle anything it's like you take two people one one guy's got all the resources in the world but a bad attitude and the other guy's got no resources but a great attitude who's going to win the right attitude every time he may not win right away, but, but he will win or, or they will win, you know? So it's like, to, to me, I always think about that. And like this, just cause I'm on a kick with this too, like law of attraction is very similar to those things. So like if there's a situation in which you 
you, you lose whatever that is, right? You lose in that situation. Maybe, you know, a good analogy is just sports. Like you get, you're a goalie and you get scored on, right? If you think, and you, you really channel that, you're like, man, I suck at this. I, I was just, you know, scored on, like, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for this, all that stuff. What will you attract? You won't attract confidence for yourself, right? But if you just, if you have a short memory and you're like, I'm still the greatest, like I can do this. I'm attracting. It's like, you know, you want a great, you want to, if you want a great job, right? You want a great promotion and you're like, oh, my boss's boss just has this like confidence about him. He just knows how to tackle problems and, and right. And you can, you can have that confidence. You can, and then if you start to approach things with this, with this really strong, um, kind of channeling this, this, uh, you know, this, this, I wouldn't say it's like, a, it's more of, it's not just a feeling, but it's more of like this, this mindset of like, look, like I'm going to attract the things that I want because, and, and, and you do that by telling yourself you already have those things. It may not be yet, but you already have those things and you just attract them by being more like them. How, how's that shown up in your life? Because I think that some people, also look at that and have attraction or, or, or know what they want, but then they don't actually take any action to get it. And I think there are others who can leverage the law of attraction, but then also put in work to achieve it. So how has it shown up in your life to help you? I mean, I feel like I've always... I think there's many, there, there's a few things that come to mind. I feel like I've always thought of myself as someone who can do high level work. Like for, I've always just, whether it's distancing yourself from work that, you know, from, from work or, or paths in life that may not end to be where you want them to be. But I've just always thought that like I could do high level work and like on yourself or no, like high level work. Like, um, like you can, you can be the best in your industry, right? Like you can, I've always thought that that was possible. And I think you just start to then surround yourself by like, I'm not going to surround myself with people who are complaining. I'm not going to, because I don't like, I don't believe in that. I don't, you know, for whatever reason, I'm just allergic to it. I just, I don't like complaining. And I think that is complaining is probably a great example of law of attraction, man. It's like. The people who complain seem to just always find more and more things to complain on and vice versa. Dude, the people who are super grateful can just keep finding more things to be grateful for. So it's like, and at the end of the day, like, you know, a lot of the time, like what we're looking for, happiness, the feeling of success, like that doesn't come from the end of the road. Like, that's not like, oh, you won finally, then you unlocked these feelings that you're allowed to feel. No, dude, like you can, you can allow yourself to feel that feeling of like success. What would that feel like? You know, if I won this day, okay, well, look, you just felt that, you know, it's allowed. You're allowed to feel like that, that great feeling. You know, that was part of kind of that beating yourself up the whole time. You're not allowed to feel, you're not allowed to feel good about, you know, the work you're doing until it's at a certain point or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't buy into that anymore because it's just like you, you can, you can quite clearly, you know, uh, manufacture those, 
those feelings and moments. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know if this is sounding like kind of through for or just a little bit like intangible, but I don't, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot to be said in, you know, it's the journey, not the destination. It's, it's your state of mind or gratitude or whatever it is, is, is where you are. And so I think one of the things that shows up for me is taking the same example. Say you want to be an entrepreneur or photographer and you want to shoot for your dream company or you want to have a million dollars in revenue, whatever it is. If you are never satisfied with having that thing, even if you achieve it, you will have a 15 second moment where it's like, hey, I achieved that thing. And immediately you're going to go straight back to the same mindset you had, which is well, what's next? Oh, I, I, I feel empty without seeking, without having this, this yeah. thing, without trying to push for it. And I think the, the thing that's interesting to me that I'm also have been thinking a lot about recently is that there's this balance between being present, enjoying the moment, enjoying the ride, you know, just being satisfied and appreciative and loving the moment. Well, also having this very human thing of having goals, having plans, wanting more out of life, wanting to get certain places, having ambition. And it's this weird dichotomy between if you were truly just happy in the moment and you were truly Zen and truly enlightened, you would just sit there maybe until you die, right? Like if, if you're truly just always appreciating the moment, oh, I feel my hunger. It's so wonderful. I'm, I'm in the moment of hunger. Oh, I'm, I'm feeling yes. death. Oh, it's wonderful, right? Yes. But also, if you're truly consumed by just wanting and desiring, you'll never be satisfied because you'll yeah. always be seeking, always be wanting. And it's this weird human aspect of, of balancing the two at all times. Yeah, it, it is very much so. I, I heard this quote that reminded me of that. It was like, we're living, I think it was like we're living through dead memories at all times because you pretty much don't remember 99% of what you do every day because you're not in that moment because you're in your head about what's the next thing what's the last thing I did that I might have messed up on what's something what's something next week that I'm worried about all those things make that time that you just spent doing that gone gone never can have it back didn't exist we're living dead memories Absolutely. hey I gotta find you know maybe it's a more eloquent than that but it was basically like how how, how- Brash yeah, it was pretty like, stoic and blunt, you know, <laughs> and it was pretty, you know, pretty just straightforward. By the way, I don't know if you've read uh, Meditations by Marcus, Marcus Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius, but is incredible. And I mean, I would, I think I've read the whole thing now. And I mean, just the similarities between like lives then 2000 years ago and now uh, are unbelievable like unbelievable so to the point where they're like you know the feeling when you don't want to get out of bed in the morning and like the bed is warm and like but you have things to do and the all those like laments that everyone has and on top of that he was the most powerful man in the world at the time he was the emperor of rome in the year like 200 so <laughs> you know someone who you would think was you know barely you know a human by today's standards and the same problems and and day to days still ruminating in his head about what he can be doing better about being a better human about you know all these things but really kind of through his it's a it's his journal basically and um you know through it he just uncovers all these real stoic beliefs that 
you know, basically why worry about things out of your control? It all comes down to that. And, you know, and living true to your nature, you know, animals, like they just do what animals do, right? Like, you know, birds fly, they, they dig for worms, like all these things, they go about their business. They're not overthinking. They're not, you know, doing all that. We are complicated, but, and complex, but if we can just do what we're, you know, meant to be do the things that, the things that bring us joy, the things that bring us purpose, um, you know, caring for others, like these simple things that I think, you know, even someone with all of that power that most people would aspire to, he's still looking to just get back to this, you know, to, to being present. I think it, it all comes back to that because like you said, it's like, you know, you, you really, that, I mean, that is the perfect example of like this time conversation it, it is none of it matters if you aren't present, like it, it, it becomes wasted time, like completely wasted time. You know, the time is like, you just, you had an hour there and then you just used it for nothing, but, but worry. Right. And uh, obviously as an entrepreneur, like there's all sorts of things, you know, you can, that can, you know, take up your time that, that maybe other people might not have to think about, you know, they leave the office and that's it. You know, they, they come back, but that, but that kind of thing, I, you know, it's never, you know, that kind of comfort of mind, peace of mind is probably never excited you or I, you know, it's more just like, yeah, that's nice. You know, would be, would be super nice to feel that way, but would probably get boring really fast. And I would argue that from all my observations, everyone has worries and it's, it doesn't matter what you're going through, whatever you're experiencing is going to feel like the biggest problem that you could imagine. Right. It doesn't yes. matter if, if, if you're worried about your third grade test because Timmy said that you have a stupid face or if you're about to lose a million dollar deal. I think that human nature is that your problems always feel important. And so you carry that wherever you go, unless you work on the underlying belief system, which is, is it really worth even having worries? I mean, there are things that we can't control. Timmy says mean things sometimes. So be it. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting thing to kind of to work through and wrestle. Everyone's with. got stuff. Every person that we come across, you know, someone's mean. It's because of something, you know, like it, it's I think as I've gotten older, empathy has like really grown, you know, just understanding like, look, everyone's everyone is the, the sum of their environment. They really do like humans are so they're just like sponges to to the situation they're in and that and for business obviously it's a great thing to surround yourself with super successful people but you know growing up a lot of a lot of people you know unfortunately have scenarios that just set them back a bit and and you know have are harder to break out of those things that make people mean or or, or bully other people and, and and that affects you know many people down the line so it's like you know we we all have we all have something, you know, it's not like, you know, I think in our, we're so in our heads that we're like, we're the only people, you know, we're the only person in the room that's like overthinking, but that's not true. We're all doing it. Um, and I think like that just boils back to like giving yourself more grace too. It's like, it's like, look, we're all trying super hard. And I don't know, man, I think like to me, I, all I can do each day is just like, did I, did I do enough? 
you know, you just ask yourself, did I do enough today? Am I, you know, am I proud of what I did? Am I proud of what I accomplished? Am I getting closer to, to the things that I want? And I'm curious to know, like, cause I've got my own kinds of goals and ambitions, but like just with, I, I, I mean, I also always try to explain to people what you do. And I'm just like, I'm like, well, I mean, I honestly don't even really know exactly what Elijah does. I know that he has a company that like he's in, in, in software uh, of some sort, but that's probably not even close to what, what you're, what you're working on and what you're doing. But I, 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 I know so much time has passed since we last talked. So I'd love, like, you know, a little rundown. Yeah. I mean, we help people build tech startups. That's probably the, the simplest way to do it. Um, we also do it for enterprise. But in there, it's more helping enterprises be more innovative, like tech startups. But at our core, we often work with early stage entrepreneurs that don't have technical experience and want to build a technical startup. And they lack the team, but they also lack the structure, the mindset, the process, the, um, the internal infrastructure, the the best practices for hiring, for recruiting, for HR, for operations, just kind of all of it. And so we're really working on building out this kind of framework to help people build a startup and not have to learn all the mistakes through just brute force and empiric evidence. So it's evolved over the years, it's shifted, but at our core, we've just continued to expand more and more. And while we used to focus a lot more on helping people build technology products. We've expanded to helping people build technology companies. And so I'd say that is kind of our current mandate and focus. And still a lot of the core infrastructure, what does it look like? Well, it means we build mobile apps or web apps, or uh, we'll, we'll provide talent when you maybe need some additional team members on product design or engineering. But at our core, it's we help people not go through the mistakes we've gone through while building tech companies that's amazing proposition for you know we want to not make all the mistakes we made and 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 pay us to it's like paying you guys for for experience basically yeah that's that's amazing so do you feel like a lot of people come to you like very early or are they already pretty hassed out with like what they're looking for are they just like purely like i've got this idea and i'm trying to take it to the next level the cool thing about our model is that we take people across the entire spectrum. And so the goal is to build a framework that can work on any scale, it can work on the idea phase. It can work on the, I have some type of product, but it's not quite working. It can work on the, I have some customers and clients, but I don't quite know how to scale up. And it can work on the, Hey, I've got a fully scaled up thing, but now I need to have more people and more innovation and i'm not able to kind of get back to that early stage aspect of it and so the the frameworks the methodology the best practices the training that we put into our team members all of it is kind of built around this comprehensive thesis that this is a complex thing to do but there is a better way to do it and there's a worse way to do it and if we keep going towards the better way, if we keep getting better at how to teach that, how to communicate that, how to set that up, um, it, it will eventually just become a better and better framework. And we're able to kind of pass that on. 
And we're still figuring out how to productize that. How do we deliver that? How do we communicate that? How do we price that? There's a lot of things to figure out. But like we we're talking about with obsession, I, I love this idea of business is one of the most beautiful forms of expression to me because it is something that can truly live on its own. And if you set up a business properly, it in theory could live forever. And so by trying to structure the business to be profitable, to be able to grow, to be able to pass that on to someone else's baby, their vision, their idea, that's, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. That's amazing. So it's like, it seems like it's just hitting all the things that you love doing, you know, like it's, it, it is cool that, and I, and I know like when we work together, like, yeah, you were also kind of expanding into other kind of like entrepreneurial, just like side projects, but like, you know, are you doing anything like that? That's like super exciting now. That's like really gotten some roots behind it. The interesting thing is you kind of come full circle. So we started basically as a startup studio and the idea was to incubate companies internally, right? That's kind of what you're referring to and start with an idea, build out companies internally and, and kind of spin them out. Yeah. What we realized pretty quickly was that when you have something that makes money and something that costs you money, you end up focusing on the making money part. And that was our agency. And so we focused a lot more on the agency but still kind of had the idea of, well, we, we do want to kind of get more involved, more hands-on at some point. And so fast forward to the past year or two, we've been kind of getting back to our earlier roots just with an updated approach and thesis. And so now rather than trying to incubate an idea fully in-house and build a product and build a team and then launch the business, we recognize that we are tech and product people. Like that is what we are. We're really good at that aspect. So for us to also then step into an area where we need to be a domain expert and we need to figure out the marketing and figure out the customers and have the relationships in that space, that's, that's tough to also stack on top of us building the product and the technology. And so instead, we've started to partner with certain entrepreneurs where we, we're able to provide the part that we do really well, the part that we're obsessed with, and then they bring in the part that they're obsessed with, such as say, Chris, you want to launch a, a photography app? Give me a call. Like maybe we'll partner up and we'll build out the technology and you have the connections, you have the relationships, you know what the problem is and the pain is. And so that's something that we've started to explore and still very early, but I think that's a more viable way to, to do it because we don't have to figure out the pain point and the problem of the customer in addition to the technology product and, and yeah. And, 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 and you could, you know, I'm sure you, you partner in a way that gives you, you know, like a, a really meaningful cut of that business or, you know, especially because if they're like, look, we don't have money, but like, you want to go half in on this yeah. idea or, or whatever. Yeah. Like, we want to be a partner. We want to be a yeah. true partner. Yeah. That's super cool. I mean, that seems like that alone seems like such a fun, like kind of like a skunk works little division, you know? like just kind yep. of like seeing what sticks and like, you know, especially if it doesn't cost you money to, you know, it just time but that's that's another interesting thing that that i wanted to ask you about is like this this scalability and once you started hiring more people and like how did you know at that point you know how did you know when well, were all the right points to kind of scale and, and bring on more people because i have and i think you probably remember this too like i have this retouching side of what i do as its own separate business which is 
grown to be a bigger thing, but still not, um, still no employees yet. But I think that's something that I'm trying to focus on more this year is like growing that to a point where it can like, it's like zero to one is like the hardest, yep. obviously. So it's like, I, I know that like, you know, I'm like almost at one, right. Where I'm just like, okay, I know that like, once this goes that, that then I could bring on someone full time, that that frees up 98% of my time required for that. And I can just be in the creative direction side of things and, and really like not be doing any of the button pushing or lever pulling. And, and I know that obviously once that happens, then you can scale it at a way bigger rate. So I'm just kind of curious, like where your path was for that. And like, maybe even, maybe even what I'm most curious about is like that zero to one kind of world in which you guys like started for had your first hires and things in that world yeah i mean so early days of matter everything was bootstrapped actually we've still been bootstrapped to this day but that means no outside capital right no outside investment and purely focusing on profit and so when you first start out you don't have any profit to work with and so it was just blood sweat and tears right which is yeah me and my co-founders time and then we had two team members that were founding team members that originally were unpaid basically kind of volunteering some time uh, around this shared idea. And then we got to the point where we were able to pay them something and pay ourselves something, but it was all contractors for quite a while. And I'm, I, I would think that you're probably in the same kind of boat of contractors, yeah. pull them in and you pay them as you need, but, but no employees from that perspective. And so we were able to, given the nature of, of what we do, the projects are, you know, six months in duration and, um, we got to the point where after a year or two, we were able to roll forward team members from one project to the next. And you start looking at it and there's always that risk of, I don't know where my next project is coming in four months or three months or two months, but based on the past track record, I think I will be able to find another project. Yeah. And therefore you start looking at the numbers and you say, okay, well, this is what my, my cost to, to deliver right? Or my time or, or whatever the cost is, my cost of my, my contractors is. Um, this is what the cost of a full-time employee would be. Generally yeah. speaking, it's cheaper because you're yeah. taking on more risk, but you're, you're giving up uh, flexibility. And at some point, you just kind of pull the trigger and you say, fuck it, I'm going to figure it out. I think I have enough evidence. I think I have enough of a predictable factor. I think I have enough tenacity to be able to pull something out if I had to, but you're assuming risk. And so whenever you kind of go from zero to one, there is inherent risk that you're taking yeah. on at some point that you just need to embrace. Yeah. Well, and you get into that world of like, it's a good indicator. Uh, is this risk worth it? You know, a lot of times it's like, yeah, because most people aren't willing to do that. And that sets you in that spot where, okay, now there's only nine, that now there's like 5% of the people you were just fighting against right now. You've gone into this next territory where, okay, this thing was a bigger risk and more difficult. And now the competition becomes way, way smaller in, in that next level. Um, so do you think like, do you think like there was a noticeable, I, I'm trying to look into my future of, of scaling, yeah. like, do you think there it was noticeable right away that, um, not right away, but like within the first few months or year of like, you're definitely able to take on more projects and like act actually scale income and revenue, pure revenue? I mean, it's the kind of, 
thing where you you make it up as you go and see so if hindsight bias if you look back but you know even to this day we don't know where our clients are coming from in six months right it's so and i think that's just the nature of kind of service-based work is you're focused on the clients you have right now you're focused on the people that are potential clients right now but you don't necessarily have that same type of long-term projection and so it's a little bit of okay well last month was better than the month before and that was better than the month before and i know that i could have used a full-time person over the past three months and this is what it probably would have cost versus this is what i actually paid and so based on that kind of finger in a wind historical data i guess it feels right yeah you know and again we have spreadsheets and we do modeling and all this kind of stuff but at the end of the day you're still making an assumption based yeah. on past performance ish right based on your current intuition and I think that that's one of the things that's beautiful about business, but also scary is that a lot of it just comes down to you making a decision is generally more important and more impactful than making the right decision. And yeah, you will often make better decisions because you make bad decisions. So either way, by making a decision, you get better and closer towards an outcome, right? If, if you hire someone and they're the wrong person and you burn some cash, the feedback's right there, right? The feedback's in your face saying, don't do that again. And that's that's part of what we're trying to do at Matters is, is take a lot of those lessons for tech entrepreneurs and make it less painful by just working working through the, the lessons yeah. and learnings that we have. Well, the fastest, let's run this, the fastest way to get better is double your rate of failure. <laughs> because that means that. you're the trying to get a, better. Yeah, you're just trying a whole bunch of stuff, right? It's like yeah. that, that really, once I read that, I was just like, dang, like there's so many things that have, you know, projects that you're like, I'm not sure if this is the right one. Cause so much of what I do is based on personal work. Like you, you, you want to be shooting, you know, X, Y, or Z for this client, but you don't have any work to back it up. Well, you better have some work that looks like you could do that or that kind of thing. Exactly. So you got to do it. It's called tests or spec shoots or whatever, but it's like, sure, there's similarities with what, with what you guys do. You have to, you know, show some sort of proof that you can do this, this thing. And a lot of times it's like going back to the time equation, what's most worth my time. It's like, and then kind of what you're saying is like, it doesn't matter. Just do something, right? Because either way, like, and, and I used to be so hung up on the result too. I used to be like, you know, each one of these has to result in, you know, 10 new images for my portfolio. Um, but that's not true. That doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're trying things all the time and you're doing more and more things. Like you'll never bat a thousand. You just won't. Not every single thing you touch turns to gold. It's okay. But, you know, if you're able to do more and more of those things, you work through, like you can't just jump from A to Z. You have to go A, B, C, D. You have to work through it and be like, okay, not. Now know not to do it that way. You know, I now know so much. I now learned this, you know, okay, I didn't have a hundred percent of the final product, but I just learned the ingredients of like 30% of what I need to know. So things like that, that I've started to realize that like, it is not just about results and like, and also trusting the timing on things too. There's probably clients that you wish you could have landed, you know, and then like two years later, you do land that thing and you're like, man, I would have not been prepared for that like two years ago. I'm sure we all would 
you know, make the most of things and learn as we go. But there's just certain times where you're just like, man, the, the experience that I had learned in the last six months prepared me for this thing that I had wanted for four years. And I think that's the interesting thing too, is what's the best way to, to make a better, to, to take a great photo is take 10 shitty ones. Right. And it's, it's by putting that time in that experience that if, if you went after your dream client and just went gangbusters on trying to land them, even if you landed them, you might not even want to service them well, but by focusing on other things and just doing other work, that's how you actually got better. And then you get the client anyway. Yes. And it's, it's, it's this weird paradigm where just doing work period, just doing something period, making decisions period, doubling your rate of failure actually produces a better result. And we forget that everyone who has been successful has failures. They have a bunch of practice, right? Practicing free throws, pra practicing at, at, you know, creating a yeah. business or failing at making a business. Um, it's it's all in the game of of just doing the work, yes. doing the time, abundance mindset too, and and law of attraction comes into play there. Yeah, you know, you take on this mindset of, um, you know, I'm not. You, know, you look at someone who's got great work, and you're like, man, they've just everything they do is amazing. The things that I'm doing aren't so great. You have to if you if you really you know think about those things and feel that feel what it feels like to be successful and, and, you know, have a successful shoot, for example, you start to think about okay, what, what would be the ingredients that would go into that? You'd be like, okay, I probably would have planned for this, probably would have planned for this. Now, now it like sets you up way more than just like guessing on it, but you're like, okay, it succeeded because of X, Y, or Z. Okay. Now let me think about why would it fail, right? Let me think about the five ways that like maybe it would fail. Okay, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. And like that kind of, I guess like that kind of introspection seems like you and I are like really into that. Like, I wonder if that is com is super common with entrepreneurs or is that, or is introspection kind of like this scary world that a lot of people don't want to like dive too deep into because then they just start looking at a mirror and you see everything that's wrong you know yeah i mean i definitely don't have a lot of answers but i think for me at least what's most important early in life is taking action and that's not necessarily even taking the right action but it's just taking any action and then like we said you fail and then take another action but i think at some point you learn a lot but then rather than just putting time in and, and doing work, you need to start reflecting on the work you've done, reflecting on the work that you do, reflecting on how your mind affects the work that you're doing. Yes. And so I do think that there's this shift in growth that that does need to pick up that internal reflection. I think you can have a lot of success with just, you know, compounding your 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 skill and, and learning more. But I think at some point looking within, doing introspection and working through shit is yeah. is critical for growth I, th I think i told you this before because i tell everyone this but my dad uh worked in in corporate for a while and he or for his whole career and he would always say 39 plus one is greater than 40 and what that means is 40 hours a week you just work those 40 hours you don't think about what you're doing you just work for the company those 39 40 hours but if you did what you were supposed to for 39 hours and then you just took one hour a week to think about how can you be improving and doing things better exponentially 
those 39 hours become way more effective than the 40 that someone else was doing. That's awesome. That's yeah. Really, really uh, compound growth. Come back to compound growth. Yeah. I think, I think that's what it is, dude. It's like, it, it really is kind of goes back to what we were saying in the beginning. Like, it's just so hard to know you're doing the right thing when you're, when you're early on, you're just, you don't have a lot of praise. Yeah. Maybe you do, but like, you know, a lot of time, like, especially if you have the right taste and vision, you can tell by your own work that you're like, wow, I'm nowhere close to where I want this to be. But through, you know, what you're saying through just tons of doing no matter what and not getting so, you know, bummed out on the failures, but just focusing on the learning. It's like almost like so much of entrepreneurship is like unlearning what school teaches you that failure is bad. It's like that to me is the, is like a very common thing that keeps coming up is like, we're just so ingrained to avoid failure. We're so ingrained to avoid discomfort nowadays. Like all these things like really do mess with our, uh, problem solving and, and goal achieving uh, ability. Whereas if you're just like, I always think about that. I'm like, is there any mindset that I've carried with me over the last few years that has totally held me back from something? Because it's like, you know, if, if you're doing well and, you know, it seems like you're doing great and, and it's like, so you start to think you're like, okay, cool. I'm doing the right things, but are you doing the right things? Like how much better could things even be? And it's not to say that what you're doing isn't, good. you know, it's not like you should be so hard on yourself all the time, like what we talked about, but it's more, it's more about like, you know, just always looking and being like, okay, yeah, this turned out great. But like, you know, is there something that can like 5X my, you know, my work next year that like, I'm just totally ignoring or, or, or even, you know, 50% you know, better, better outcome. Like is, is there, or, or 1%, you know, a lot of it is like, a lot of it is like just moving the needle every day. I think as like, as an entrepreneur, it's like not all like winning big jobs and all that kind of, you know, stuff. It's like, did I move the needle today? You know, was it 1%? Was it, was it 5%? Like we're always becoming something you know, are we becoming something we want or are we becoming something we don't want? Right. And it's like everything we're doing has like, if, I think that's, as I get older, I start to realize it's, there's a cause and effect of everything, you know, like the habits that you do that, like how you do one thing in, in your home life is how you do everything. Are you cutting corners with this? Or like things like that, not just like, for whatever, you know, our brains are just obsessive with that, but they just seep into things. You know, if you're out for a run, you know, are you like, are you just like cutting, are you cutting, you know, are you stopping short? Are you not running through the finish? Like all these little things that just like, you know, you know just, just not compromising on things I think is so important in, in, in anything you do, because it really like, you know, if you compromise on the little things, like throughout your day, you're going to compromise on the big things in business. So like really giving yourself that, like, you know, just those boundaries, I think like really just, just helps, just helps move that needle a little bit more each day. Yeah, I completely agree. As a professional photographer, what are your thoughts on mid journey? <laughs> Good question. I'm, I'm actually surprised I haven't talked to you about this yet. Um, Man, well, 
first initial thoughts were this is the coolest thing ever. First thoughts when it first popped off like last summer or like last spring, something like that, or at least that's when I found it. Um, was like, this is really fascinating and how good it was right away. Um, or not right away. The version that I was playing with was like, whoa, hell. And second thoughts were like, I wonder if like artists will just like be prompt people and like know the best prompts because like it seemed like that is the, the you know, like we're talking about, it's like, clients can't communicate what they want so they work with us who can translate what they want into visuals well that's just like a prompt you know that's like the literal version the prompt like i would that you know say you know that's someone's job now is like someone's a, a like a mid-journey prompt person they're like the photographer but just in terms of like where it leads and where it goes, you know, I don't know, man. Like I, I don't see it as like, I mean, I'm not saying like, it's not a problem. I'm not saying like, no worries, you know, but, but I don't see it as like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking the whole industry will be virtual in, in five years. I don't know. You know, I just, I just think like already in 2023 like people just want authentic content and authenticity and visuals that's paramount over everything it's like good analogy is like you know when instagram first came out like it was just all like just super you know beautiful images hyper real everything and same with influencers and models like they would just work with you know, great photographers to you know just create like stunning stunning images and and now like people are just posting like selfies like they just woke up and they're just like, yeah this is actually my life it's not all that fake stuff that we were just looking at and and same with automotive uh industry like when photoshop first came out like everything got so hyper retouched um to the point where it was just like a car would never look like that in real life but it looks super cool so they did it right that was like early 2000s mid 2000s early 2010s and and now everything's shifting we want authentic we want authentic we want real we don't want it overly lit so to me like mid journey is the opposite of authentic um and i don't see like customers and clients and create i don't really see like anyone who's like super itching for that except for maybe like fast content that is like just like an Instagram ad that's like you just swipe past and you see it once and it like does it's does what it's supposed to do. But like, you know, I don't I, yeah, I don't see it as like something that becomes a threat. But I do think like AI intertwined with post-production and retouching and things like that can be used as a tool for people like us to speed speed up processes and just find more efficiencies. And it might, you know, it might it, it will it will mess with some some jobs at certain levels but i think like if you're a director a director a person who's uh, a creative vision like working working to get a team to a specific vision as a photographer like you're working you're, you're using a camera but the camera is just kind of in the way of your vision so it's like you're still kind you you're you're being hired not because you can like use the camera you're being hired because like you know 
like what combination of things adds to the vision that feels right for this project. So, you know, I think that will always exist even with a tool like mid journey. Um, but I'm curious, like from, from your perspective, what you think? Well, first I want to ask if there was, maybe this already exists, but if someone could go to mid journey and type in generate a photo of, uh, RAV4 in the style of Chris Lorenzo, and it generates a photo based on your unique style. Is that good? Is that bad? Is that scary? Well, you know, I wonder where like the, the, like the, the lawsuits go with some of that stuff too. And like, one of my hopes is like, maybe people just don't want to touch that, you know, because they're like, ah, well, you know, like, not in terms of who owns it, but in terms of like what content was used to like manipulate from this. And like, it may not be so from scratch as we think, you know, like maybe it really is like taking an image and then like layering on things and like, and then actually stole that in. I don't know, but yeah, that's possible. It's super possible. I just don't know, like if that tool needs to expand more to be much more useful, like you know, a lot of the times, like if we're on a shoot, I can go shoot that RAV4. Yes, it may look like that image that Midjourney made, but then I could do like 30 variations of that and then 40 detail shots and, and, and then like, you know, fun moments that we got to play around with, you know, talent and lifestyle moments. And like you're, you're coming away now in a day with like way more assets, I think. And not that it's impossible for like an AI to like, you know, create a library images with all these different angles i do think it's possible but people always want like tweaks to things and oh maybe this just a little bit this way and the light a little bit that way and and i just think like kind of like how cgi when it came out it's like okay well once you start to have that much control and want that much control over things it just becomes an expensive process to do and 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 each image becomes expensive and then like okay now it's and it's authentic because we're doing this in cg and it's better to do it in real. i don't know that's my hope um yeah no idea you you bring up cgi too because i feel like there's a resurgence of practical effects and practical animatronics in movies that's that's kind of making a resurgence now and i know i've seen it in a couple different ways but the the eye still can tell when things pretty accurately if they're cgi or not and you know you just there, there's a certain aspect which knows if it's fake or not and i'm curious to see if that eventually goes away or if it's just perpetually our eyes just get better and better at detecting what's real and what's not the eye yeah the eye is like the eye is so picking up on those things it's crazy just and you don't have to be an artist to pick up on it you know what i mean like we all pick up on it it's like some sort of weird uh like I don't know if it has to do with like survival instincts that's ingrained in us, but something to tell us when something is not quite right. Something you thought was one thing is, is not actually that thing. Um, but I could there's see a, Go ahead. There's an interesting story about during the Civil War, people would buy photos of their loved one who had gone away to war and the photos they would sell were just of random people. So they'd have like a brunette, they'd have a blonde, they'd have a guy with a beard, a guy without a beard. 
and they would just sell these photos and they thought they were actually the person, their loved one. They actually thought it was a unique photograph of them. And it's the type of thing where this is early days of photograph. There weren't high quality, but also people weren't used to seeing something that was so quote unquote lifelike, right? They weren't used to seeing what that is. And as time has gone on, as quality of images have gotten better, our standards have risen. But if you showed a CGI image that was generated today to someone from 10 years ago or 30 years ago, they might think it's real. They might think it's a photograph because their brain hasn't been expanded to the possibilities of it. So it's just interesting to see how our identification of what is real has shifted as a species as we continue to get more and more realistic fake things. We just get better and better at detecting fake things. Yeah, like the shark from Jaws looking at it now is like the biggest thing on Earth. But then it was not possible before. So it's like, yeah, the belief of what is real and what's not like evolves as technology evolves, it seems. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, so interesting to see like, you know, AI start coming for you know, artists and like, you know, I think, I mean, if you want my honest, you know, my real thoughts, it's like, just because we can, doesn't mean we should. That's my thoughts on it is like, you know, just because we can replace all the artists jobs with the computer doesn't mean we should do that. (laughs) It's, it's like the, the reason why we love art to begin with is because it's, it's not perfect and it's made by a human. That's why we like art. Like, that is at the core of it why we're fascinated with it is interesting though like we're not just fascinated with art but we're fascinated with beauty and like other animals aren't fixated on beautiful things but we are or we'll, i don't know why but we stare at a sunset other animals are not sitting on the beach staring at the sunset too with us they might be there but they're not doing that so it's like what what is it why does that why does beauty, why do beautiful things like make us feel a certain way? I don't, I don't know if you have any like thoughts on that. Yeah. When you said beauty at first, I was thinking of beauty, you know, beauty is for mating for reproduction, but beauty in the sense of a starry night or a sunset, that's, that definitely is something that's pretty unique. And I don't know. I mean, I think, I think humans are, as far as we know, the only species that's able to have a capacity for wonder species that is conscious and i think that there's got to be some aspect which is all evolution of maybe not evolution all advancement of humanity has been based on curiosity based on trying to figure out a better way technology innovation all of it and so without that innate sense of wonder we probably wouldn't have come or curiosity we wouldn't have come down out of the trees and forage for food or whatever the initial monkeys did and so i wonder if it's kind of baked in to who we are is to have a certain sense of curiosity which is tied into awe which is tied into just amazement at the universe which when you're truly present with a tree in a field on a summer day or a super quiet lake in winter there's a certain amount of presence that you have in the world when you are in those moments And that is beautiful and that is awe-inspiring. And I wonder if it's kind of 
built into that. But yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a great question. And and how like I think a lot of us, I think like nostalgia plays a, like a big part of that too. The things that we find beautiful are often like things we liked as kids, or like the the environments we were in. You know, growing up, like we went to the beach a lot, and I was just always fascinated by the oceans, probably because my brain was super malleable at the time or um you know just like there's certain like i'm pitching on a job right now and i'm like talking about you know a lot of the story is the directing spot and a lot of the story is about uh making these core memories and um this this thought that you know maybe visually we can we can inject some of those things that we all saw you know the way we saw the world as a kid you know everything was vibrant and the grass was so lush and the the sun was so strong and like these things that like kind of play into our you know, nostalgia and our, in our brain that we, that we long for, uh, is probably, you know, a human thing. I can't imagine other animals are, I think these all come with probably complexity of mind. I would say now it's just like a brain can think on, you know, if someone can think and reason, then they'd probably have all these emotions too. But I mean, I don't want to, I want to skip. I do want your thoughts on Midjourney, and I'm curious if you've played with it a lot or not, too. Yeah, I haven't played with it a lot. I think that the art side. I'm. I've played a lot with AI and building out natural language tools, but less so on the art side. And I think that there's. I think I maybe have a bit of an aversion too, because I don't necessarily know if we need it. And so I don't have a desire to really explore what that tool is or does. You know, I'm not trying to make art in my free time. I'm not trying to make art for a client. Um, so there, there is an aspect, which is I, it's not solving a problem that I have. It's not um, a, appealing to me personally. I think that there are applications for it. And I do think, like you said, that there are certain instances where it might make sense. And one instance is we actually have a client who they own a bunch of marinas and we're building out a, a mobile app for their members. And so one of the unique aspects that we're doing is each member has a boat. We have a, we know they're making model. And so we're actually generating a, a graphic of their boat to make the app feel more custom and personalized Super cool. and again that's something that might go to uh, an adobe illustrator artist or something previously but it's also a, kind of a, a blended line where I, I i think that when you want higher quality art or creation of graphics you will still have that but then there's also this tool for generation of it and i don't think it needs to be either or i think it's yeah. both and yeah it's like it's like knowing where things should be just pure data or like info you know it's like data or informational you don't need an artist to be doing that and it like leaves more hopefully you know leaves more of these more creative and meaningful uh pieces that are supposed to stand out for the artists um and not not so much just like this uh but you know to me like that was always like you know you don't want to aspire to just making like you know, super fast pieces of information right. like that just are, you know, I'm not trying to take photos of products that just like, you know, this is a card reader and I should take a photo of it for their website. Like it's that, that should just, you know, the, 
they should have an in-house person doing that, you know, who's just like handling all their, or the assets. So it's like, like what you said, it's almost like, hopefully these things all have kind of their own lanes and uses. And it's not so much like an either or, which can't imagine like, again, like, you know, if you want to, if you want to campaign that like feels beautiful and, and has a style and all this stuff, you're going to have to work with someone who's going to like, you know, create those things. But I think there's a, there's a benefit to, yeah, I think that's always like the, the, the thing to weigh is like, okay, there's a huge industry in this and X amount of jobs here, you know, like, does it benefit society as a whole to replace that with, with AI, you know, no, it just benefits the few people at the top probably. Right. So it's like, I think we'll have to be like super careful with, you know, kind of where that leads with, in terms of like, is this benefiting every, you know, is this benefiting like, you know, most people, majority of people, the people that do great work, you know, or is this just benefiting like, you know, the, the, the people at the top to just make even more money. Um, so it's like, it's a fun tool right now, man. Like it's super cool to just play around with if I've got a vision and I'm like, oh, I want to make a world that. I want to sell this idea and make a world that doesn't exist, but I want some visuals for it. And, you know, you can just kind of toy around with that for a while. Like, a, like I'm pitching another thing where I'm like, I would really want to have a waterfall, uh, you know, in this scene. And I'm like, well, we can just add it VFX and CGI. Like, you know, it's people are good enough now to you know, make a believable waterfall that's in the distance. No problem. And, um, and to, to mock that up, I'm just actually it was in Photoshop. It was with generative fill in Photoshop, the AI tool. And I was like, waterfall on this canyon. And it just like gave me three options. And one was absolutely perfect, you know, and I'm <laughs> perfect for the mock up. And I'm just like, okay, this is super cool. It saves time, helps you kind of get to the core of, of what an artist. And, and I think maybe that's kind of what, you know, maybe AI pushes pushes artists into this world of like more about vision, you know, more about ideas and vision as, as the, uh, the currency and less about like the, the button pushing and the actual like execution of it. Yeah. It's, it's definitely interesting to see how it evolves and ideally it enhances, does not kill, right. It enhances the things that are more meaningful for you that you want to do and reduces the barrier for effort for the things that maybe are more mechanical or you don't like, whether it's retouching or maybe it does, you know, 70% of the retouching automatically. And then you layer in your specific aspect or with yeah. doing a mock, right. You're able to more accurately and effectively communicate an idea that previously you would have had to use something less effective, i.e. words to communicate. And so hopefully there's a, there's that balance and, and we don't tow over the line. How about, how about chat, uh, GPT? Are you liking that? Yeah, I, I use it on on a daily basis. It's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely been helpful for. Now, now, how about I've seen some, I, I've seen some people play around with like asking it to, you know, do a little Python scripts and things like that. Like, is it is it just pretty pretty rudimentary with that, or can it do some interesting things? It's uh, it's pretty good actually, um, for specific tasks. So debugging is one of the things that's most effective at which is you know you just kind of take the code you put in the error and then it's like oh it's, it's right here it's right there um it's also really good at kind of scaffolding out basic things that you might need so if you need a boilerplate for a file right 
it can kind of scaffold out all the basics and then you can kind of talk with it to kind of expand it. You still need to know what you're doing. You still need to know how to communicate with it and you still need to kind of fix things when it gets confused, but it dramatically speeds up workflows. That's That's amazing. I mean, it seems like, it seems like coding is a great fit for things like AI, right? Very, very thick because it's, it's all logical, but it's all language. And so that's exactly what chat GPT and, and LLMs are. It's, it's, uh, basically applying actuarial science to words and figuring out what the, the highest likely prediction is. And so when code is all about being logical and, and mapping out structured language, right? This, this wants to fill in the gap. And I think it's a very, very good pairing between the two. Is there um, any businesses that you're either in or working on that is more like uh, white labeling AI tech to serve serve a specific niche. Yes. yes. Yeah. I'll tell you after the podcast, I'll, I'll fill you in. Definitely. Yeah. To me, that's like my mind keeps going there. I'm like, okay, where's the, I'm making lists on like, I'm yeah. like, what are all the things that would just be a shoot, plug and play, label <laughs> it as this, boom, done. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the problem still comes back to, again, users, you have to be able to be good at getting your users, finding their pain point and then interacting with them because the technology itself is fairly commoditized. Um, you know, anyone can, can build something pretty quickly now with on, on the backbones of it. So it comes down to first to market, best user experience and, and finding the people that have the pain that you're trying to solve. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you can, it seems like, especially nowadays, like people are really savvy, you know, and like you can, you can have the best ad campaign targeted at these, but if they don't care, if it's not a problem for them, if they don't need that help, like they're not going to buy it. They're not going to, yeah. not going to partake in that. Like people just want, especially now, I think people like everyone is really about like, you know how can I save time? Can I get my groceries delivered? Can I do all these things? You know, like these things are important to people for, I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, look, I don't really like, like walking around in the grocery store when I can just do like, Oh, reorder what I got last week. It's at my house. It costs $3 to get delivered done or whatever. It's $10 more than, than, than if I was in store like that. Now I was just able to work for an hour on this thing, you know? So it's like, I don't see those things as necessarily being, you know, problem, but I know some people think it can probably like lead to just all of us just being in our little boxes all day. And then, you know, I'm totally, totally on that page of of making sure we're still kind of having a lot of these in-person, you know, connections, which me and you have to do and have to hang out soon next time. Actually, I think I'm coming back uh, in September, I think. Oh, sweet. Well, Um, yeah, I'm around probably, but, but yeah, dude. I'm just trying to. Well, so here, let's you're... close out the podcast. We'll we'll get into some of the the specific stuff. Yeah. Okay. Sick. All right. So I'll just uh, I'll, I'll throw throw a throw a ender on here, and we'll do the. <laughs> I don't actually do audio spike by uh, editing, but. Um... Chris, so if people want to find you out there, where do they find you online? I am at chrisdilorenzophoto.com. And my Instagram's Chris underscore DiLorenzo. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. I had a blast, dude. Thank you. Yeah.